Uh, there was a scripture, if we were going through our, our reading this week, in Matthew 15, 7 through 9. Let me read this for you. Hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, These people draw near to me with their mouth, and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. So I don't want to get, I don't want to get people in front of you that their heart is far from God. <clears throat> they may not have all their doctrine right, but if their heart is, is going towards God, we'll listen to them. And in vain they worship me. Notice this, they worship God, but they do it in vain. Teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. That is a real big warning sign. And that's something I always look out for when I'm listening to people. Is this something biblical? Is this something supported in Scripture? Or is it just someone's opinion? If it's their opinion, do they teach it as their opinion? Or do they teach it as something biblical? Because if I have somebody who teaches me their opinion as something that is biblical, I probably will never put them out there for you. Because that's dangerous. Jesus said right there, teaching as doctrine the commandments of men. Got to be real careful about that. Sometimes people want to go out there and to, to teach things because they're convinced that this is true, but there's no place in Scripture where it is. Just because we think it's, it's true, it's got to be in Scripture. And I know some people have uh, mentioned to me, uh, Brother Rick is having, he's, he's stepping out. He's, he's bringing more people in on his little um, TV shows and things that he, he does there. A little, he's, you know, he's pretty well watched. <laughs> but uh, this one guy that he brought in, uh, Joseph Z. And if you listen to him and if you enjoy him, that's fine. I don't. I listened to him for the first week he had him on. I, I tuned it in. in. Uh, no, I'm not, I'm not pursuing it. He's not a person that I, Brother Rick loves him. That's fine. Just because Brother Rick loves somebody and I love Brother Rick does not mean that I'm going to take anybody that he throws out my way. Um, there's a lot of reasons why I listened to it. I, don't, I didn't like it. I won't pursue it. If you want to, you can go ahead and do it. I'm not. And I'll leave that at, at that part on, on him. I didn't just listen to him on, on his. I went to his site and I actually listened to some of his ones that he put out there. That's not a direction that I would pursue. And you do have to be careful of, um, of some of the things that people do, especially in the guise of, of end times. And he was, I think uh, my wife was telling me about something, one of the ones she was listening to. Watch out for this. This is how subtle this kind of thing would, would be in. He was teaching the thing that an artificial intelligence could be the beast. Folks, that is false. There's no chance. I don't care that AI was not around before and this is a new thing. I don't care. It is not possible because the beast and his image and his prophet are all in one thing. The, the image is not a person, but out of those three, two of them are thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is not for artificial intelligence or some computer. The lake of fire is for people. Antichrist is a person. He will not be an, an artificial intelligence. Now, Brother Rick was sitting right there when he was teaching this. I don't, I'm not sure what's, what's up with that, but again, I love Brother Rick, and I will continue to listen to him. But just because he endorses somebody does not mean I'm jumping in both, both feet. So just be careful of, uh, of stuff like that. You have to make sure it's, it stays there in Scripture. Anyway, let's get over here to our Scripture. We're going to have some fun with it. We've been on parables. We've been talking about parables. And I want you to know some of the things coming up. Parables are great. Parables are some of the things, I'll tell you, some of the things you can get from Jesus' parables. This is Jesus teaching you. Let me just give you a, a little sight of some things to come. There is a parable 
that Jesus teaches that will tell you what he considers to be spiritual growth. How many have ever heard people's opinions about what spiritual growth is? Jesus gives a parable that he will tell you what spiritual growth is. And I very seldom hear anybody mention it. That's one thing we have coming up. He will also teach you one of the biggest hindrances to us spiritually and even in a natural realm like friendships. He is going to teach you about one of the biggest hindrances that will hold you back spiritually and will also hold you back in your in your friendships. And here's the thing about it. It's really easy to correct. All you got to do is know about it. Now, I'm not going to throw out something to you. We'll just walk in love. Walk in love is not an easy thing to correct. That is a lifelong mission. But there is something he gives you in one of these parables that is very easy to correct, very easy to keep in mind, and it will affect your spiritual and natural realm more than anything else I think you can correct this easily. He also is going to tell you what responsibilities there, that we have in what we share, speak to the world, and even to other Christians. How many have ever wondered, well, should I say this to them? He gives a parable that will tell you whether you should or not. Now, if any of that does not jump out, oh, it means this parable, this parable, then just hang on because we're going to get into all of them. All those things are, are coming up. Now here, Luke chapter 12. Then one from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? This is, the, this is a statement. It's not really a question. It's a, it's a request. He's asking Jesus to do something for him. And on the basis of this, we have launched some teaching. So we've got to understand what this thing is. One from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. That's all we know about it. That's all we know about the situation. But here's what you can, you can figure out just by reading this. First off, there was something in the will or perhaps the law that was not viewed as fair. Have you ever had things going on at work that you thought were unfair? Have you ever had anything go on in your family that you thought was unfair? Anything go on in your neighborhood that you thought was unfair? Have you ever seen God come through for another Christian didn't come through for you? Have you ever thought that was unfair? How many times do we have this thought that something is unfair? Well, it's unfair that I have to go through this. Nobody else has to. It's unfair that I'm facing this. It's unfair that I don't have this. It's unfair. And we come, come up with all these things. This man has looked at his situation and said, it is unfair. Jesus, will you fix this for me? Boy, isn't that what we always want? Somebody to step in and fix it for me. Boss, will you get over here and fix this? I'm not being paid as much as them, but I'm doing twice the work. Can you get in here and fix this for me? We all have solutions. We all have ways. And his solution was, tell him to split the inheritance with me. You can read over that and miss a whole lot of stuff that's going on. First off, we know this. The man had a brother. Did he have two? There was no indication he had two. There was an indication he had one. It would seem from just that one statement that this man 
belonged to a family of two brothers. And the way that the Jewish inheritance worked, there was a will, of course. Mom and dad would make out a will, and apparently they are no longer here. And maybe the one just, maybe the dad was the last one to go, maybe the mom was the last one to go, whoever's the last one to go, now the will kicks in, and there's something in the will that he doesn't like. And Jesus, will you step in here and fix this? There's also the thing in the Jewish custom that the oldest son got a double portion. Now, there's all kinds of wrong things that are taught about that. What this means is if you had six sons, the inheritance was split seven ways. If you have six sons, the inheritance is split seven ways. Each one gets an equal part of that seventh, but the firstborn son gets a double portion. He would get two-sevenths. The reason for it was that that first son, the responsibility of maintaining the family, fell upon him. And the extra double portion was to help him accomplish that. Take care of the estate, take care of the family, keep them all together, stuff like that. That's why it was given there. If what I'm telling you is true, and this man, the parents have already gone, there's only two brothers, he may have decided he does not need a double portion because it's only him and me. But for some reason, he has decided that the double portion doesn't need to apply here. Instead of doing the double portion, let's split it. Because if there's only two, then you're going to take the inheritance, you're going to split it how many ways? Three ways. And the oldest son gets two, which would tell me this is the younger son. Now notice who is not present. The brother. Why? He's probably happy. He's probably happy with whatever whatever was in the will, whether it was a double portion, whatever it was, he's happy with it. This guy is not. So he feels that this is unfair. It's not right. It's not fair. It shouldn't be this way. Whenever something doesn't favor us or go the way that we think, often we see it as unfair. True, but truly, it's simply, it's, it's just not our way. It's not going our way. It's not the way that we want it to go. That's it. But we brand it as being unfair. Because it's not what I want. I am not getting something I think I should. That's where this man is. So this man has started off. All that will help you understand how Jesus answers this guy. Because he's, he has deemed this to be an unfair situation. He has asked Jesus to step in. Now, I'm sure no one here has ever been asked by somebody to jump in and decide a matter based on half the information. No, we get that all the time, don't we? How many times do people come to you and tell you their side of the story and want you to side with them? That's what this guy is doing. He's telling them his side of the story. That's it. He's not telling them the other side of the story. He's only telling them his side of the story. And he wants them to make a judgment off that. Jesus does not fall for it. And neither should you. If somebody comes to you and gives you half the story, don't take the bait. Jesus says to a man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? You can just quote scripture. The next person who asks you to prejudge a situation with you only hearing a partial bit of it, just quote this verse to him. Who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? Who did it? Nobody. 
Just quote scripture at it. Hey, it worked with the devil. Maybe it'll work with your relative, boss, co-worker, whoever. So his request is for Jesus to step in and change this by making the division more favorable or more acceptable to this man. Now, like we said, the brother probably likes this just the way that it is. He's probably happy. But people will often bait you to make decisions or even statements. They just want you to get a statement in their favor without giving you the full picture. Take this advice. Follow Jesus' example. Because people will come to you and say, well, this and this happened, and this and this happened. What do you think of that? Well, that sounds totally unreasonable. I cannot believe that. And they will go and they will quote you on that. In fact, they will go to the person. And they'll say, well, Pastor Steve thought that you were totally unreasonable in this. What do you mean? He never even talked to me about it. Don't do it. Don't give them statements. If anything, quote the scripture. Do like Jesus did. Who made me an arbitrator and a judge over you? Now, if they want to get you involved to where you hear both sides and then you can make a judgment on that's fine. But don't pass judgment on any situation not knowing what happened. Make sure you listen. Verse 15. And he said to them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. He goes right off here into covetousness. What's that mean to you? What's it, what is that telling you? If Jesus says, I'm not going to get involved in that, I am not an arbitrator or a judge over this, and then he goes right into covetousness, what's he telling the people? You are covetous. And, he, and that's what he's saying? That's what he's saying. You're covetous. Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Now, I looked up the word covetousness. It means eager or excessive desire, especially for wealth or possessions. When a desire begins to consume your thoughts, your actions turn to pursue it more until you become willing to make greater and greater sacrifices for it. You're becoming covetous. I've got to have that. I need more of that. I need to pursue that. I need. This guy is probably in a place where the inheritance has taken over his thoughts. It is dominating his relationships. He can't go out without talking about his problems with the inheritance. People are tired of hearing about the inheritance. And here it is. We want to hear Jesus teach. And this guy opens up his mouth. We become dominated with it. Be careful about that. Jesus says, beware. Take warning. See that this thing doesn't get a hold of you. So instead of a decision, he receives a warning. Brother Hagin used to say this to you, to us. I think I quoted it recently. But I am not against my people being rich. The Lord had shared this with him. I am not against my people being rich. I am against them being covetous. You can be covetous and not have any money at all. You can be rich, you can be poor, it makes no difference. But your life is not measured by the things you possess. Your life is not measured by the things you possess. One of the times, how many remember when Tony Cook came out here? Ministering to the church. Anybody remember Tony Cook? Okay, not too many remember him. Tony, Tony Cook came on out and he was, uh, one of the times we were talking, I don't think he shared it in the, in the service, but one of the times we were out there uh, meeting with him, he said, uh, most churches today, are, are judged by the three B's. Buildings, 
bodies, and bucks. <laughs> wow, that's, a, that's about right. We've got to be careful because we can get pulled into the area of covetous and think even that we're doing it for God. Don't go into prayer or asking a question with God thinking something is unfair. Looking for an explanation. Go in looking for understanding and a better view of the big picture. Whenever you go into prayer, don't go in there thinking, well, God, this is unfair. I need you to change. Do not go in there that way. Go in there with such a way that I need an exp- I, I need a understanding on this. I don't need you to explain to me why you did this. I just I want to have an understanding. I want to grow in my understanding of, of God. I want to grow in my understanding of the Word. So then he goes on to the parable. Verse 16. Then he spoke a parable to them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentiful, plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no room to store my crops? Now I looked up, uh, I try and make it a habit whenever I go through these to look up a number of different translations, and if we have anything that's substantial, I'll send it over to them so they can put it on the screen for you. Williams reads it this way. and It's just a small part, a small change, so I didn't bother putting it up on the screen. When it says here, and he thought within himself, Williams reads it this way. So he began to argue with himself. Have you ever had a self-argument? You take both sides, right? You argue why you should, you argue why you shouldn't. So this guy is uh, getting into a discussion with himself. Why should I do it this way? Why should I do it this way? Why should I keep working? Why shouldn't I just take it easy? He's arguing with himself, but apparently one side won. What shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? That's his dilemma. Imagine this. You've been farming this land for all the whole long time. You've got barns. Those barns have always been good enough to hold what you grow. Always been good enough. Now all of a sudden one year, so much stuff came in, such an abundance, that you no longer have room to store it. And you begin to think this. So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there I will store all my crops and my goods. Every time I read this, this bothers me. I don't know if I've ever bothered you. Maybe you never even thought about this before, but it always bothers me when I read this. If I am short on storage, why tear down the barn that is working just fine? Why not just build more? Keep what I got and build more. I I always have a problem when I read this. Why don't you just leave that there and go build some other ones? But can you imagine the amount of prosperity that came to this man that you are even going to consider tearing down what you have, building new, and still having plentiful to store? That is an abundance. This man came in to an abundance. And I will say to my soul, soul, (laughs) you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. So what he has decided here is this. He's had an argument with himself. He's had a discussion with himself. And he says, look at all this abundance that has come in for me. What shall I do? I know. I'll tear down my barns. I'll build new ones. We will take all that stuff and we will store it and I am going to be living high on the hog for years. That is some kind of an abundance. This is a man 
who has been farming every year, harvesting, saved some for seed, sowed it the next year, and been doing this cycle. And then all of a sudden, something came into his life and it changed it. Think of it this way. What happens to someone who plays the lottery every day, every week, while we're all, it goes. And then all of a sudden, one day they won. And multi-million dollars are coming into their accounts. What happens to them? Some people, they quit their job. They sell their house and they buy a new house, a bigger house. Sell their car. They get a bigger car, maybe multiple cars. Maybe they buy a boat. Maybe they buy timeshares. Maybe they just buy a hotel. But they they go out there and they start doing all these things. Why? Because something came into my life and I've decided I'm going to change the way that I've been living. And I'm going to live off of what I just received. What happens when people get a sudden big bonus at work or took a new job and doubled their pay? It can change you. So you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool. Boy, if God is saying, calling you fool. This night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Now, the thought here is that in previous years, the harvest had been good and provided, but it hasn't been this good. This is exceptional. So what do we do with the abundance? Yeah, you have choices. You can spend it. You can save it. You can invest it. You can give it away. You can do stuff. You know, look at people that, uh, you know, like NBA players or pro sports guys, and uh, they signed that big contract. Oh, they have all kinds of money coming in. And some of them, uh, everybody pulled from them and they gave money to their friends and they gave money to their relatives and then pretty soon there wasn't anything left for them. I remember hearing the story. This is way back before it was real popular to do. But uh, if you can think back, if any of you were NBA fans, how many remember Dr. J? Julius Irving. Yeah. He was a smart man with his money. He took that money he made over there. I don't know if it's still in this. I know that he did this. He bought Coca-Cola Philadelphia. And that was his company. And so he used the, that and invested it. And you know, money would come back to him. So he continually had money. And after he was done with the NBA, you saw him walking around in a suit and a briefcase. Going into work. And he kept on, on going with that. Now, I don't know what, what's up with him today. I haven't uh, followed. Uh, he's probably retired by now. But that's one of the things that, that he did. He decided, I'm not just going to build bigger barns. I'm going to invest the money. And uh, as far as I know, he was also helping out a lot of people as well. But anyway, here's the question. If a sudden abundance came into you, how would it change your life? This man decided he'd stop working. He'd stop producing. He had more than he needed. Now, here's some blanks I put in your outline for you. Get this one. Because this, this is the key part of this thing. The supply he saw met the need he predicted. This is what gets a lot of Christians into trouble. 
the supply he saw met the need he predicted. There's a lot of times that we have predicted what we would need and we have set up our supply or we've seen our supply. Not just physical, but spiritual. I anticipate I'm going to need this spiritually, so I've set myself up to to attain it. But our supply must be sufficient for the demands made on it. However, we are not always aware of all the demands. Do you know what will be demanded of you in five years? We can anticipate, but I don't know. How about ten years from now? I don't know. I can anticipate, but I don't know. So that's why you follow your your spirit. Because your soul can know what you have in front of you, but it cannot know what's ahead. But your spirit man can. I put that one in your outline. The soul, not even, even one that is not renewed on the word, can know the supply, but it cannot see the demands that await for it. Your soul does not know what's down the road. But God does. Your spirit does. The spirit-led soul can know the supply and hear from God the demands that are ahead. Do you remember Joseph? They did not anticipate the demand that was ahead for them. But God told it to Joseph. Now, here's what you need to do. Make plans. Get yourself ready. And there's been other people who had the same kind of thing. Not quite to that degree in the natural, but other areas in the spiritual. Now, first thing, let me show you some of the things that he did here. First off, he misunderstood the purpose of his life. He misunderstood the purpose of his life. He did not understand the purpose of his life. His life was not just to make life easy for him. It was not just to take care of all the things that he needed. That was not the purpose of his life. But that's what he came to. He preferred material abundance to spiritual abundance. Remember the householder? Parable of the householder? You've got to get that spiritual abundance up so that you have something to dish out from. He misunderstood the master of his life. He misunderstood the purpose of his life. He misunderstood the master of his life. He preferred his own will to God's will. Soul? He said it to my soul. My soul. That's what he called it. Jesus is telling the parable. He said to my soul. He called it my soul. That's all this is. Whose soul is yours? And yours. Not if you're born again. He preferred his own will to the will of God. In Ezekiel 18 and verse 4, I'm just going to read this for you. Behold, all souls are mine. <laughs> the soul of the Father as well as the soul of the Son is mine. The soul who sins shall die. All souls are his. So if you just understand that, you wouldn't be talking like this man did. This man did his own thing. A servant of God is not there to do your own thing. But what things are in submission to the will of God. Just as Jesus demonstrated. Jesus demonstrated a life that was submitted to the Father. I do what the Father says. I speak what the Father speaks. He's here to do and accomplish the will of the Father. He lived the life down here to do that. Not to accomplish his own will. In the prayer in the garden. Not my will, but your will be done. A prophet must speak the words God speaks to them, not what they think the interpretation is. Be careful in this, because there's a lot of prophets out there today. They are no longer speaking the words of God. They say, and they may have, 
they say they receive the word from God and they speak to you the interpretation of it. That is not a prophet. A prophet speaks to you exactly what God said. Remember the words that God spoke to Ezekiel. Say exactly what I say to you. And Ezekiel did. And that's why he soared. Because God saw, I can trust this man. He will say exactly what I say to him. A prophet must speak the words God speaks to them. Not their interpretation of the words that God speaks. A faithful prophet is one who hears the words of God and speaks them. An unfaithful prophet is one who gives you the interpretation of what God said to them. Don't do that as a prophet. A teacher can teach where they're given opportunity, but they cannot usurp a service because they feel inspired. Can you imagine if a teacher walked into some conference somewhere and they feel inspired and they stood up and said, I need to teach. Uh, no. See, there's that submission thing. No, no, no. We, we have people that are over this. God is instructing them what to do. And we expect them to, to follow along with that. One who works miracles... Word of God talks about people who work miracles. And they must follow faith or the leading of the Spirit. They can work those miracles, but there's got to be faith in the person. Jesus found faith in individuals and worked miracles that way. He also had the leading of the Spirit. Remember when that man was uh, in the coffin? There was no faith on anybody's part there. He was moved by the Spirit to go up there and to, to pull him out of the coffin. And he did that. You cannot be led by emotions. If you are going to be one, God is using in the area of working the miracles... You cannot be moved by emotion. Well, look at this per Oh, we got to get in there and we got to... No, you're going to be pulled off. You got to follow after what God says or you got to follow after faith. Those are the things you need to do because you are not here to do your own will. This man was doing his own will. If you're a worship team member, you can't sing a song your own way. You can't go off in a different direction from where the leader dictates or where everybody else is going. You got to follow after what they're, they're going on. Otherwise, there's going to be chaos up there. If you have a, a instruments up there and they start playing a song the way they feel like playing it, that's not going to work. God will, will look down on that and says, all right, well, if you can't be faithful with the leader I put in, in front of you, then how are you going to be faithful with anything bigger? If you're an usher or a parking lot attendant, you're there to serve people, park cars. You can't just serve people and park cars any way you want. There are certain people who said, all right, this is what we want you to do. This is how we lay it out. This is... And you've got to follow along those, those ways. Now notice this. God does not force us to comply with His will. But He rewards those that are faithful. Those that faithfully follow it. He rewards them. He does not sit up there and say, You will do it my way. That's how God does. If you need to be forced to follow the will of those you are under, you will not learn obedience nor ever be in a place to be trusted of God with the things that God considers valuable. Here's a third thing. He misunderstood the future of his life. He misunderstood the purpose of his life. He misunderstood the master of his life. And he misunderstood the future of his life. And in the parable, God says, your life is required now. You don't got years down the road. It's required now. He misunderstood the future of his life. Then Jesus begins to teach this in 22. And this has everything to do with what he just did. 
Then he said to his disciples, Therefore I say to you, Do not worry about your life, what you will eat, nor about the body, what you will put on. Life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Now understand this about this verse. Do, let me just read it to you, get it just as he said it. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, nor about the body, what you will put on. Do not worry about your life, do not worry about what you're going to eat, do not worry about the body. He said, don't worry about it. Don't worry. That's not a request. That is a command. You can obey it or you can not obey it. But God is looking for those that are faithful with His commands. God is looking for those that will let Him be the master of their life. Do not worry. Yeah, well, you just don't know what I'm up against. Huh. Let me read that again. What's it say in the Word? Yeah, but you don't know what pressure I'm under. You don't know what will happen if this fails. What did Jesus say? Do not worry. I don't care what situation you are in. Do not worry. Now, the video teaching we have coming out for you tomorrow, he's going to hit on this, just this little topic here right here. It'd be great for you to, to hear that. Do not worry about your life. Don't do it. Life is more than food. And the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which have neither storehouse nor barn. And God feeds them. Hmm. Of how much more value are you than the birds? Remember the parable we did on the treasure and the pearl? How valuable are you? What is your value? Who sets your value? The person who sees you as having the most. Your value is not set by people who are critical of you. Your value is not set by people who think less of you. Your value is not set by people who put you down. Your value is set by the one who values you the most. And we use the example of like auctions. What is the value of the item in the auction? The one who won the highest bid. That is the value. All the other values thrown out. The only one that counts this one. If someone just determined that this is worth $1 million, I don't care if everybody else thought it was only worth 250000 The value of that thing is $1 million. Why? Because there was someone who saw the value. And Jesus is telling us he saw the value in us and gave his life for us. That is your value. Don't let the devil, don't let other people tell you anything different. And he's telling you right here in this parable, aren't you more valuable than ravens? That's even an unclean bird. How much more value are you than the birds? And I take care of the birds? No, I'm going to forget you? And which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? If you then are not able to do the least, why are you anxious for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And I say to you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothes the grass which today is in the field and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? Do not seek what you shall eat, what you shall drink, nor have an anxious mind. Oh, right there. Have an anxious mind. Don't have an anxious mind. You embark in something new. At least you're going off to school. Brand new place. You can get anxious. What's the word say? Don't be anxious. 
Don't be anxious. You know, we've, all, we've all been in those kind of places. I've been in those kind of places. You know, I went to Kings, and up there in Kings, you know, it's uh, you know, folks came up, drove me up there, took all my stuff, put it in there, and I went on in. Went out to Ramah. I got on the plane. Was greeted by people I didn't know. Went to a place I didn't know. Met people I didn't know. Didn't know anything in the city. Didn't know anyone in the city. I was a complete stranger to every single person in that city. Don't be anxious. Don't be anxious. No matter what situation you're in, taking on a new job, taking on a new responsibility at work, whatever the thing is, do not be anxious. Don't be anxious. You got to get that anxiety. Yeah, but you don't know what I'm facing. No, I don't. But Jesus does, and he's the one who said it. Don't be anxious. One of the things that uh, Brother Hagin shared with us when we were at school, I may have shared this with you a few times, but I can just see him getting in trouble for this. Not everything the prophet did was <laughs> necessarily trouble-free. But um, he lived a life anxious, worry-free. He, he didn't get anxious. He didn't get worried about anything. And it really aggravated his wife. And one time they were coming up to the house and had probably some discussion in the car. I forget all that was going on. And she just said to him, I'll bet that I and the kids could drop over dead and you wouldn't be worried at all. His comment was, now, you tell me where you think this comment's going to get you. <laughs> he says, well, don't sound like it'd be much sense in worrying about it then. <laughs> but that's who he was. <laughs> I'm sure um, that discussion did end at the door. It probably continued to go on. But don't be anxious for things. There's, there's always going to be a temptation to begin to think about the future. To begin to think about, all right, when this comes in, what am I going to do with what comes in? What kind of barns do I need to make? What kind of investments do I need to make? How am I going to plan? How am I going to take care of this thing down, down here in the road? Now, Jesus was not against them having barns. He never told him to tear down, tear down the barns that he had. He's giving you a story. Suddenly an influx came in and this man was making his life all about that. So he said, don't have an anxious mind. Your mind ought to be able to shut down. Your mind ought to be able to shut down. My mind can shut down. I've trained it. I've made sure that it can shut down. My wife will tell you, I go to bed at night, my mind shuts down. I'm done. I'm not thinking about things. I'm not going over things. If God wakes me up in the middle of the night, give me something, I'll write it down and go back to bed. You should be able to shut it down. If you cannot, it's going to wear on you. Brother, uh, Brother Keith shares this on this uh, video tomorrow. Your body is not made to handle anxiety and stress. And it will wear you out real fast. Don't take it on. So he says there, don't have an anxious mind. For all these things the nations of the world seek after, and your father knows that you need these things. See, the world's seeking after these things. Now, God knows you need them, but don't seek after them. Seek the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added to you. Do not fear, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell what you have, give alms, provide yourselves money bags, which do not grow old, a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches nor moth destroys for where your treasure is there your heart will be also this man's treasure was where 
and the abundance of the crops that he got. We're going to store it away. Now, I put this in your outline for you. You can fill this in. Worry deals with the future. You find anything you are worried about, anything you are anxious about, it is about the future. You don't worry about the past. The past is done. You don't worry about the present. Worry is for the future. It's what will happen. It may be something that's going to happen in 10 minutes. It might be something that's going to happen in 10 years. But worry is future. Work deals with the now. Worry deals with the future. Work deals with the now. Worry keeps you from doing work. Which means you don't deal with your now. Which means which messes up your future. Don't let the anxiety, the worry, the fear get in. It's not a show of concern or love because you are worried and anxious about a loved one. People have been telling you that for a long time. It is not a sign of it. If you are worried about a loved one, you are in disobedience to the Word of God. That's not love. If I'm in disobedience to the Word of God, it means that I am not walking in the commandments of God, right? How do I know that I love God? Keep His commands. So that right there tells me I've stepped out of love. Don't step out of love. Stay in love. Because the only way you can really love the people that you care about is to be in the love of God. Stay there. Don't get out of it. Do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He loves giving you the kingdom. Think of it this way. Grandparents love to spoil grandkids. Grandparents love to spoil grandkids more than it seemed like they spoiled their own kids. Well, when you had your, when your kids were your kids, you had a lot more pressure on you to uh, pay this and do these kind of things. And so you didn't feel as free to do all that. That was most of that money that you had come in. A lot of it was committed. Now your grandparents, not as much coming in, not as much uh, pulling at that. So you got more discretionary money. Our grandkids call it the bank of Nani and Papa. And they'll come over and make a withdrawal. And you know what? We are happy to do it. Happy to do it. Yeah. That's how God gives to his kids. God loves to give you the kingdom. Loves it. Looks forward to it. And you're going to be over here worried about some food, some clothes. It is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell what you have, give alms, provide yourself money bags, which do not grow with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail. That's the one you need. This guy was going to put his treasure on the earth in barns, and once he died, he had no access to it. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. When you take your efforts, when you take your work, and it becomes distracted onto the wrong thing, your life, your production, your purpose, all that, it's all messed up. Since worry can do nothing, he says worry can't even add anything to your life. Since worry cannot even do a little thing, why do it? What good do you think is being accomplished? Now, I wrote down some things. Maybe you think you're being prepared for what's to come. Apparently not. If you were being prepared, he would have told you. Maybe you think it's a demonstration. 
of your love and care. And it's not. If it was, he would have said so. Maybe it's going to empower you to get those things done. Since when has worried ever empowered us? Drains you of your energy. Now, how many saw the comic today in the, in the boat? Both. All right. In case you're wondering, what in the world does that have anything to do with it? Now, I like Ziggy. Apparently, not too many people are familiar with Ziggy. But, but Ziggy has determined that his diet's not going to work because his body and his fat are two good friends. They just won't part company. I think that's a good, uh, a good excuse. Good thing. We can hang on to that. Sometimes, people, we are such good friends with worry and anxiety that we won't part. Sometimes we are such good friends with things that God says stay out of, we won't part company. You need not be good friends with worry and anxiety. You need not to be good friends with fear. Because it may come the day you don't want to part company. Get to the point where you can't wait. Where fear, worry is that relative who came and you're saying, I hope they don't stay. I hope they don't stay. And get them out. Get rid of them. They don't need to be here. All right. Let's see how we're going to put... I didn't have room for any of this in your outline. Cut it all out. Had it out last week. If you had last week's outline, it's basically the same one as this one. But here's some important lessons. Write down the ones that you want to remember. Here's the first one. You cannot store up a supply that God turns on. You cannot store up a supply that God turns on. If God's turning on a supply, you can't store it up. Just get in it. Get in the flow. That's how the Word God puts it. Get in the flow. Stay in that flow. You stay in the flow, you'll stay in the supply. You cannot store up a supply that God turns on. Number two, worry will add nothing. It adds nothing. It cannot add a thing to anything that you're doing. So don't be doing it. Worry will add nothing. Do not replace work for worry. Do not replace work for worry. That's what it's going to try and get you to do. Get you to worry about a problem instead of working on it. I had a quote I wrote down. What worries you masters you. That was Hayden Robinson. What worries you masters you. Here's number four. You are of great value to God. Understand that. You are of great value to God. Number five, God takes pleasure in giving you His kingdom. The enemy is going to try and tell you otherwise. God's not concerned about you. He's not thinking about you. No, God takes pleasure in giving you His kingdom. That means you don't got to go to God and beg for things. God takes pleasure in giving you His kingdom. He's looking for people to give it to. I got a lot of kingdom. I need to give it to some people. Who's up for some? He's looking for people to give it to. Take pleasure in giving God yours. Take pleasure in giving God your kingdom. Whatever kingdom you've got, whatever stuff you've got, whatever things are considered to be part of your kingdom, take pleasure in giving them to God. Well, God, I got this over here. Can you use that anywhere? Take pleasure in giving the things that are yours to Him. You ever have a little child 
Maybe if you're a grandparent, you'll have this. Little one come up to you, and they found a quarter. Here, why don't you have this? Oh, what does that make you do? He gave me a, he gave me a quarter. Oh, man, that's phenomenal. What are you ready to do? I mean, you're ready to give him a 50. <laughs> right? That's the same way with God, folks. Take pleasure in giving God yours. Here's the last one. Don't be baited to make judgments, hearing only part of the story. Don't be baited to making judgments, hearing only part of the story. The man who started this with the request for Jesus to intervene was baiting Jesus into making a judgment. The man who judged he had enough for his future made a judgment based on only partial information. And those who decide to worry, who judge, it will be help even though God said it will not. If you decide to worry, if you decide to be anxious, even though God has said not to, you have fallen into the same trap and you have made a judgment based on inferior information. Inadequate information. Have you decided that I need to take some of my mental energy and focus it into thinking on these things? Not trusting in God. This is all one, one whole group here of teaching. It even keeps, keeps going on, but I knew we, we weren't going to have time to go beyond that. Don't make these kind of judgments. Get the whole picture of the Word of God. And then go after it. Would you all stand up with me? Glory to God. Father, I thank you that you help us with the things of life. That you care about the life that we live down here. That you are mindful of us You are mindful of our needs and it is your desire to meet those needs. And I thank you for it. Every head bowed. If you're here today and you say, fear, anxiety, worry, yeah, it's been pestering me, it's been creeping in. I don't want it to anymore. Raise your hand up. A few people right there. It can sneak in on you. I'll tell you what, don't be thinking that, well, I'm obviously not very spiritual. Oh, I'll tell you what, it gets in and it hits the most spiritual of people. It took Elijah down. Elijah, after a great victory on Mount Carmel, fear, anxiety, and worry took him down. Doesn't have to take you down. If you want prayer, you want hands laid on you, you can come up here to the front. If you don't, you can stay right where you're at. But if you want hands laid on you, Now, I can't lay hands on you and say, well, God, I take authority over. No, you have to decide. But I'm going to pray over you that the Spirit of God quickens on the inside of you every time fear, anxiety, and worry begin to make its ugly head. No, I will not do it because to not do this is a decision. It's not something you need to pray away. It's just something you need to decide. I will not go in that direction. Anybody want prayer over that? Just come on up here to the front. We will pray over you. Glory to God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Fear and anxiety have no rule here. In the name of Jesus. Peace is the nature of the kingdom. 
peace is the nature of the kingdom. Father, I thank you that your word will quicken inside her every time that worry, every time the anxiety, every time fear tries to make its presence known. And we just confess what is in the word of God. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus, fear and anxiety, you have no rule here. No matter how grim of a picture you paint for the future, the word of God has painted a solid one. And he is mindful of our future. If there is anything we need to know about in our spirit, he alerts us. He does not alert us through worry and anxiety. In the name of Jesus, we take authority over all those things. Glory be to your name. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Glory to God. God wants your mind to be at ease. He wants your mind to be set free. He's concerned about your mind and where it goes. And he's done all sorts of things to help us with that. But you've got to let him do it. If you continue to embrace worry, fear, and anxiety, you will keep yourself from the peace of God. And you'll keep yourself from the power of God. But that's not how he wants it. Well, you don't know how long I battled this. It don't matter. You can have victory today. You can have victory right now. I'm not doing that anymore. I am not doing that anymore. I am not going in that direction anymore. Oh, but it's just, it has caught up with me. If you ever have trouble getting to sleep, this is something that I don't even know who it was who taught it to me. Decades ago, I learned this one. If you ever have trouble falling asleep at night because your mind is still going or anxieties or fears or things like that are going on, here is a simple cure. How many people have ever tried to pray in the Spirit or pray to God for a long time and then end up falling asleep? Anybody ever done that? Yeah. Battle sleep every time you go to prayer? Do this. At nighttime, if your mind wants to take over all those things, pray in the Spirit. Just pray in the Spirit. Just pray to God. Just have a lengthy session. It is a win-win. Either you don't fall asleep and you get to pray for the long time that you wanted to or you fall asleep. I mean, either way, it's a win-win, right? What's better, laying there worried and anxious or praying in the Spirit? Either way, you'll win. Don't let it have the victory anymore. This is what Jesus was teaching about in this parable. And he's got a lot more parables and a lot more things, things to teach us. Glory to God for that. Well, tomorrow we have a video teaching coming up. How many of you watched the one I put up? I didn't put it up until, um, what was it, Friday? Who, who uh, watched uh, uh, Vadi? Uh, I'll tell you what, that's, that's a, that was a good one. That was a good one. He, if you ever wonder how to deal with some of the things that are going on and people are saying, well, you don't know, you know I'm in this wrong kind of relationship, but I love them. I'm in this uh, uh, homosexual relationship, but, you know, I love them. And you're always wondering, how, oh, I tell you what, he, he went after this with a verse I never would have thought of. Boy, did he ever do it. So it, it was a good one. I hope you get a chance. It's not long. He, he doesn't preach all that long, but 40, 50 minutes, I think, at the most. He's, he's uh, in there and done. But uh, tomorrow we have one coming up from uh, Brother Keith. I haven't put up one from Brother Keith in a long, long time. This one comes out from the 2022 Kenneth Copeland Ministers Conference. And he is teaching on, uh, on some things on... Uh, and so that's, it's actually, I made it live. I was going to make it live tomorrow morning, but I went ahead and made it live. So it's up there now. If you go to the, the church YouTube channel, it's there. You can watch it anytime you want to. But um, all the other ones we put up are up there as well. Uh, these are all things that you get to, to hear. 
And other ministers are going to be teaching you some of the things in the Word of God. Most important thing you, you can get is get the Word of God in you. So we give you at least one or two of these things a week. And um, just cut out a TV show if you have to. It'll benefit you more. These things will be, be helpful for you. If you are not on the email, I'm sorry, the text list, if you only get into Facebook, I say this, and it seems like every time I say this, new people hear it. So if you're getting tired of me saying it, at least you heard it. But somebody else is going to come out. Oh, I didn't know that. If you watch it on the Facebook link, it's a YouTube link, but it's going to keep you in the Facebook environment. And you have all the limitations of Facebook, which are many. Many. If you want to bypass that, I will text you out every Monday at the same time that it comes up on the Facebook page. I will text you out the link that goes right to YouTube. YouTube is much easier to listen to, to things with. And if you stop and have to come back, it remembers where you stopped. It's tremendously better. So if you're not on that, it is no problem to get on there. I still have room to put more people on. Love to have you put. Just let me know. I probably have your text information, but um, just let me know. We'll put you on that list. You'll get the text instead of having to go to Facebook and find it from there. But bless some of the folks that are around you. Uh, the Bacons are driving today, and we've been we're praying for them. They said there was a lot of Nutty people on the road yesterday. So we're praying for the nutty people stay away from them. And they'll be heading out to Tennessee. They're as a business uh, trip to do there for a couple of days. But have a great rest of the day and bless some of the people that are around you before you go.